Good morning. Turn with me, will you, to Luke chapter 1, please. Luke chapter 1. We're beginning our character study in the New Testament. And I really took it to heart, Don's challenge he laid out for us last week. Um, to talk about the character of these individuals. We want to think about a character study is for the reason of looking at character. Um, and sometimes that can be difficult because we have to stop and we have to put ourselves in their place and, and recognize some things that we wouldn't ordinarily recognize. When we take up the narrative, there's a lot to learn from the narrative. And this narrative, most likely you've heard before, we'll go through it. But the narrative speaks for itself. But we want to zero in on the character. And it's really precious when you do that. I can remember being out in Brazil with Sandra and Kathy Ormsby turned us on to these books. And uh, they talked about a character um, in a Scottish setting sometimes where there would be um, some person of sterling character. A very difficult, poor situation. And he would, uh, his character would shine through the narrative. And in the end, uh, it almost brought you to tears to find out that he was really an heir to the throne. He owned everything. And um, you could see the Lord behind the scenes putting this person in situations to where his character could be brought out and developed. And then you see that's the exact kind of person that should be in that place. And I think that's what God is in the business of doing in our lives. Taking us through different situations and circumstances in life. Some, some circumstances much more difficult than others. Some people have greater trials than others. But it's to work on our character. Because we are be, this is training time for reigning time. And he's doing a work in our life. And we're going to see in these two individuals some, uh, some really uh, shining parts of their character. And we want to put ourselves in their place. Zacharias and Elizabeth is who we're going to be talking about. Uh, we find the narrative in Luke chapter 1. But before we get into it, I want to point out that there's been a long period of silence since God last spoke up until this time. About 420 years of silence. Uh, from when God spoke through, I believe it was the prophet um, Malachi, Malachi, um, up until this point. And so a long period of silence. What was God doing? And it sort of mirrors what was happening in their lives because this couple was an elderly couple. And we're going to find out uh, how it mirrored in a little way their life. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, verse 5, there was a certain priest named Zacharias. So we know he was a priest of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron. And her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. I think I should keep reading the whole narrative and then come back to the points. And they had no children, verse 7. And they had no child because Elizabeth was barren. And they both, and they were both advanced in years. Now it came about while he was performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of his division, according to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Verse 10. And the whole multitude of the people were in prayer outside at the hour of the incense offering. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. And Zacharias was troubled when he saw him, and fear gripped him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard. 
and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. And you will give him the name John. And you will have joy and gladness. And many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. And he will drink no wine or liquor. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. And he will turn back many of the sons of Israel to the Lord their God. And it is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit or the, in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts and the, of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make a people ready prepared a people um, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord and Zechariah said to the angel how shall I know this for certain for I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years and the angel answered him and said I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. And I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which shall be fulfilled in their proper time. And the people were waiting for Zacharias and were wondering at his delay in the temple. But when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And it came about when the days of his priestly service were ended that he went back home. And after these days, Elizabeth, his wife, became pregnant and she kept herself in seclusion for five months, saying, This is the way the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked with favor upon me to take away my disgrace among men. And the narrative jumps into a little bit um, with Mary in Luke one thirty six, And behold, even your relatives, it's talking about Mary, to Mary See, Elizabeth was um, a cousin of Mary's. Behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she was called barren. And she who is called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. Mary said, Behold, the bondslave of the Lord, be it done to me according to your words. And the angel departed from her. Now at this time Mary arose and went with haste to the hill country, to a city of Judah, and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it came about when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting that the baby in her womb, uh, and it, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed among women are you, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how is it that ha- how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. And then verse 56. And Mary stayed with her about three months and then returned home, returned to her home. Now the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth and she brought forth a son. And her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had displayed his great mercy toward her. And they were rejoicing with her. And it came about that on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child and they were going to call him Zacharias after his father. And his mother answered and said, No, indeed, but he shall be called John. And they said to her, There is no one among your relatives who is called by that name. And they made signs to his father as to what he wanted him to call. And he asked for a tablet and wrote as follows. His name is John. And they were all astonished. And at once his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed. And he began to speak in praise of God. And fear came on all those living around them. And all these matters were being talked about in all the hill country of Judea. 
And all who heard them kept them in mind, saying, What will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was certainly with him. And his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David his servant, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy toward our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to Abraham our father, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go, go on before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give to his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercies of our God with which the sunrise from on high shall visit us, to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child continued to grow, and he becomes strong in, the spirit, in spirit, and he lived in the deserts until the day of his public appearance. Okay, there's the narrative. Wonderful story. And we want to look into the narrative to see what we can see about the characters of these individuals. Zacharias, a priest. His life was dedicated to God. He loved the Lord, as we all should. And it just reminds me that deep down inside of us, there is a longing for God. God made us with a God-shaped vacuum that only He could satisfy. And no matter what you pursue in life, no matter what you try to fill that heart of cravings with, it won't satisfy until the Lord takes residence there in your heart. So if you're here this morning and you don't know the Lord, I think you know what I'm talking about. There's a lack of lasting satisfaction, lasting joy that you miss because you don't have the Lord in your heart. Well, Zacharias was a priest, so his life was dedicated to serving the Lord. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron. So uh, we could say that he was equally yoked. Okay, so um, I'm just reminded of how important it is to be equally yoked in a marriage. Many uh, Christians have suffered many a pain from disobeying the Lord in the area of being unequally yoked. Um, These two were equally yoked. And so that says something about their character. Um... They wanted someone, a partner in life, that would love the Lord like they loved the Lord, that would want to serve the Lord like they wanted to serve the Lord. And we see, even as, as Zacharias went to serve in the temple, um, Elizabeth was carrying on the home front. She was back home, watching the house, being a helpmate to him. And that must have been an encouragement to him. And so here's two individuals that it says they were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blameless, blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. So I want to cue in on some words here. Um, they were righteous in the sight of God. Now one thing I've learned since studying the scriptures from when I accepted the Lord in 1981 is the scriptures do not contradict itself. Scripture doesn't contradict scripture. So if you have an explanation for a passage that contradicts another portion of Scripture, you better either be able to explain that or find another interpretation. And so I find a verse in Romans 3.10, there is none righteous, not even one. And yet it says right here that they were both righteous. 
So does that seem like a contradiction to you? It may seem like it, but it's not. And if we understand the passage correctly, we'll see that. Righteousness. There is none righteous. No, not one. That's talking about us in and of ourselves. There's no one righteous in and of themselves. The righteousness that it's speaking of when it speaks of them being righteous is the righteousness that it's a gift from God. It's given as a free gift from God. It's not something that's one's earn, that one earns. It's not something that you can arrive at. It's not something that you have in and of yourselves. In that case, we're all unrighteous. We're all sinners. And the Bible's teaching is clear on that. It's a righteousness that's given as a free gift from God. And so I think the order is important. It says they were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. That order is important because a person can't walk blamelessly or try to obey the commandments to arrive at a righteousness that somehow God will accept. It's polluted with our sin. But if God gives that righteousness, and because He's given that righteousness, it causes us to walk blamelessly before Him, that's a whole different story. And when it says blamelessly before Him, it's not talking about walking without sin. Both Zacharias and Elizabeth, they, they were sinners, but the law had a prescription when they sinned, they were to uh, offer up an offering or whatever they had to do. They were walking in obedience with God because they were already righteous before God. And the same thing with a Christian. If, if a Christian who has accepted the free gift of the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ sins, don't be surprised. I was talking with someone this morning and I was telling them that nobody knows my sins more than perhaps my wife. My children, they see me every day. They see how I react to different situations and they see my, uh, we like to call them faults, but they're not, they're sins. <laughs> they see that. But that doesn't make me unrighteous in the sight of God because God's given me the righteousness of His Son. It says in Romans 4, 3 through 6, For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. So that's the transaction that God makes. You believe God, and he makes a transaction and reckons that as righteousness. It's on the basis of faith. Believing not in God. Even the demons believe in God. But believing what God says. God's message. Now the one who works, his wages is not reckoned as a favor, but what is due. But the one who does not work, but believes him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is reckoned as righteousness. You see, you don't work for that righteousness. You believe God, and He reckons it to you for righteousness. And now you have a righteousness of God. The righteousness that's from God. A righteousness that no one can bring a charge against you as a result. And of course, because you have that righteousness, you begin to walk differently than you did before by the power that God gives. Just as David also speaks of the blessing upon the the man whom God reckons righteousness apart from work. So it's not working. It's not walking blamelessly to get to the point of righteousness. It's a free gift. Salvation is a free gift of God. Not of works that no one should boast. So I just wanted to make that clear. And I know it's not talking about their character. But it says they were righteous. So they believed what God said. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. And so it's believing what God says. What does God say? What is that message one must believe? Well, it's pretty clear that I'm a lost sinner and I deserve to go to hell. 
That might be a tough pill to swallow, but it's no less true and from God, and it's the message from God that one must believe and that God loves us and he sent his son to die on the cross so that we might be forgiven of of our sins on a righteous basis. That's the message of God. That's what someone must believe in order to be reckoned righteous. Okay? So, I believe, based on the scripture, that these two individuals were a man and woman of faith. They believed what God said. Okay, now they had a dilemma here because, um, well, first of all, I want to point out they were both walking like that. They were both righteous. They were both uh, of the faith. And that's important because when we talk about a marriage relationship, this is the way I explain it. I I likened it like a triangle. I likened it like a triangle. Because um, in a relationship with a husband and wife, you love each other, and of course you want to draw closer. But it's like uh, two porcupines. You get cold and you want to get warm and so you want to snuggle up but next thing you feel is the prickliness of the other person's sin and they feel the prickliness of yours and it drives you apart again and so it's an ongoing relationship like that that's how it is in life Um, but one thing I know is that the relationship is if I want to draw nearer to my wife I don't even think I just draw nearer to the Lord and she draws nearer to the Lord and as we both draw nearer to the Lord Next thing you know, we're walking closer than we ever have with one another. And that's how the relationship between the husband and wife should be. And I believe that was their relationship. They were both righteous. It was an equal yoke. They both were serving the Lord, whether it was her maintaining the home front, managing the household, while he was off for his week or two weeks at the temple serving the Lord. He knew that he was coming back to a faithful homemaker to a faithful helpmate. And that was a source of encouragement to him. And he loved his wife. You can see why. Or you can see it demonstrated because they had a problem. There was probably a dilemma for them because it says in verse 7, they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they're both advanced in years. And so um, we can see through the narrative that we already read, that was a topic of prayer for them. I don't know how many times it doesn't say that they prayed for a child. Now we don't really... um, understand it's difficult for us to understand the stigma that was attached to being childless in that time in our day and age i mean i live in a selfish generation the world you know uh, what did they they call them dinks what does that stand for double income no kids you know that's that's this generation so having no kids just means you're a little bit selfish you're spending on yourself right in some cases in the dink category the worldly sense But there was a stigma attached to childlessness for them. Um, Many Jewish rabbis insisted that it was evidence of divine disfavor. You see, children were from the Lord, a blessing from the Lord. And so here were two righteous individuals walking blamelessly before the Lord. And he was a priest and no children. Year after year after year. And most likely they were at least in their 60s at this time. And what do you think people were saying? Now there must be some secret sin in their life. The Lord's not blessing them. And that so oftentimes happens when people go through trials and tribulations in their life. Is sometimes people look, wow, I wonder what's really going on there. Why is the Lord bringing this upon them? And in this case, it wasn't anything to do with sin in their life. It wasn't to do with God's disfavor. It's that God had a special purpose in mind. God had a special blessing for them for which they needed to exercise patience. 
very difficult because what people must have been saying. Now, you have to realize how bad they wanted children. I think with that stigma that in society and, 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 and the way it was back then, that uh, there was a great temptation, there was a great desire to have children and a great temptation perhaps if they didn't uh, have children. In this case with the wife Baron, one of the viable uh, alternatives would be to divorce her and marry a younger woman and had children with a woman that could bear children. And sometimes that was recommended. Um, sad, but true. And so sometimes there are things that we want so bad that we can go to such lengths to get them. Wasn't the case with Zacharias. No, because we see his character shining out. What was it? Well, I think one is faithfulness. He was faithful. Faithful to the Lord. Faithful to his wife. Um, and I imagine there was a lot of talk going on behind his back, but he was going to stand by her. And he was going to stand by his oath, his promise that he gave her. And we see that's becoming rarer and rarer as we see the divorce rate skyrocket in our day and age. People aren't faithful to their word. They're not men and women of integrity. Well, that's not the case here. We have a man and woman of integrity. Zacharias was going to stand by her no matter what. And that's the, the, the character that he shows. A man of integrity, faithful to his marital vows through sickness and in health. Whether it be richness or poor. <laughs> you know, um, I think that's precious in the eyes of God. Now, they were advancing years and they wanted something real bad. Now, they had to wait a long time before God answered that prayer, didn't they? And, and that speaks to, to me when I think of the saints here at Calvary. Um, there are, have been prayers offered up through the years. Perhaps it's for a loved one, um, a parent, you know, an aunt or an uncle, grandparent. Many times we've prayed that way. Um, perhaps an erring son or daughter. Prayers for a repentance and restoration. There have been prayers for helpmates, wives, husbands. There have been prayers through sicknesses, through sadness. And oftentimes it seems like, why isn't the Lord answering? Why is the Lord delaying? Well, in this case, we see that the Lord had something very special in mind. And I, I remember a song, the words always stick in my head, um, you save the best for last. Because I think of God when I think of those words. He saves the best for last. And I don't know what's ahead, but I know the best is saved for last, no matter what. And I think we can be encouraged by that. It certainly was the case in the lives of these two individuals. Advanced in years, uh, God hadn't spoke to the nation of Israel in over 400 years, and he doesn't seem to have spoken to Zacharias or Elizabeth during their lifetime, and now they were old, advanced in years. And it came about that while they were, he was performing his priestly service before God at the appointed order of his division, according to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord to burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were in prayer outside at the hour of incense offering. Okay, so I think it was David that separated the priests into their order. Um, 24 groups, 12 tribes. That means maybe uh, two weeks out of the year. And I think they were separated by six months that uh, a group would come in according to their division, maybe a thousand. 
and then draw lots to find out who would go in. So you can imagine it might have been a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Once you had that opportunity, it might have been a rule that you couldn't do it again because it's such a special opportunity. And here's a special opportunity. You know, one thing I want to recognize, too, is that Zacharias and Elizabeth could have become bitter. You know, we find that's a common temptation when there's disappointment and a very prolonged, strong desire for something. Um, And hopes are not realized, and there's a danger of bitterness, the root of bitterness taking root and sprouting up. But they they didn't become bitter. We don't see bitterness here. We see Zacharias um, going to this special event of a lifetime and no mention of uh, any bitterness at all. But we're going to take a close look into his heart. Uh, I was, um, it was pointed out to me to look a little deeper into his character and, and I did and I, see, I think I see something there. I think you will as well. Um, moving on. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him standing to the right of the altar of incense. And Zacharias was troubled when he saw him, and fear gripped him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. Now there are certain amount of things that really there was a great expectation that, that um, Zacharias should have believed the angel, right, Gabriel. What were those indications? Well, one, he knew his wife's name. He knew of the prayer request that they had had. He knew they wanted a son, and here he promises a son, and he tells them what to name him. And what was Zacharias' response? Zacharias said to the angel, How shall I know this for certain? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. So do you, do you see that there was a little bit of doubt there? Certainly. Because it says in verse 20, Behold, you shall be silent and unable, unable to speak until the day when these things take place because you do not believe my words which shall be fulfilled in their proper time. Okay, so because he didn't believe this was going to happen to him. And I wouldn't think it's the worst form of discipline that God could administer. Matter of fact, it might have been a blessing because he had a lot of time to think about it. Uh, and, and with the last things that were heard, it would be pretty hard for him to forget, right? Okay, um, let's turn to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18 real quick. What was going on in Zacharias' heart? Why did he say, well, how am, I, how am I supposed to know that? Look how old I am. Look how old my wife is. Um, do you think he was, uh, his faith was faltering? Is it possible for our faith to falter through difficult circumstances, waiting so long for something to happen, and then, and then there's the promise of it happening, and, and then we wonder, uh, could it be? I believe it is, it is possible for faith to falter. I'm not talking about saving faith. I think of John the Baptist. Um, he was in prison. This was their son, John, the forerunner of the Messiah, in prison when Jesus was on earth doing miracles. And he's wondering, what's going on? Here, here's the deliverer. Here's the one, the Messiah, and I'm in prison. And so he sent his disciples and he asked the Lord, are you the one that we expected? Or should we look to another? You see, John's faith was faltering that moment. 
And, and the Lord has a way of building our faith without us suffering the embarrassment. He says, well, go tell them what you see. The dead are raised. You know, the lame are walking. The blind are, uh, are seeing. And so what he did is he laid out another opportunity for faith to grab hold of. Um, so what's happening in Zacharias's heart right here? He's faltering. He's faltering. And I think the Lord knows that we have a tendency to falter. And, but you might have another uh, way of describing it. Here in Luke chapter 18, verse 1, Then he spoke a parable to them that men ought always to pray and not lose heart. I think that's a more proper description. Lose heart. Saying there was a certain city, there was in a certain city a judge who did not fear nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, Get justice for, uh, for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterwards he said within himself, Though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continually her continual coming she wear me out. Then the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said. And shall not God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will, uh, he will speedily avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? Will he really find faith on the earth? You see, it's easy to pray one day for something, two days for something, maybe even a year or two. But it's also easy to lose heart after several years of praying. Salvation of a loved one, for a marriage partner, um, for uh, uh, deliverance from perhaps illness that doesn't seem to go away. It's easy to lose heart. And here the Lord encourages us, us not to lose heart. Will he find faith? So we see... Um, faith can falter and God's in the business of shoring it up and in a way Zacharias's discipline of silence and I think he was even uh, deaf may have been deaf some commentaries think he was deaf because they had to make signs for him like what shall we call this child you don't have to make signs for someone that can hear you just ask him any of you that can't speak you can write it down okay so that sign to him was really um, an opportunity for his faith to be built up. <laughs> um, form of discipline, build up his faith. Did he not lose heart? Um, what was the end result? The end re- result was that his prayers were answered, but far beyond, exceedingly far beyond the, anything he could have ever expected. His son, the forerunner of him who was to come, the Messiah, the Lord. That's amazing. That's amazing. And it reminds me how precious we are to the Lord. He knows the difficulties that we go through. He knows the longings of our hearts. He knows the tendency that we have to lose heart, to get discouraged. And even when the news of good news comes, we doubt. And we think, I don't want to get my heart up. I don't want to get all encouraged about it because I'm just going to be let down again. No. No, he doesn't want that. So I'm wondering, um, have you ever lost heart? Have you ever been discouraged? The Lord's good. The Lord has an answer. And it might not come out how we expect it or how we think, but I guarantee you it'll be more and better than we could have dreamed possible. Um, And we might not see it until the end. We might not see it until the end. So we think of uh, Zacharias' character. 
man of faith and yet had faltered a bit. Um, man of integrity, stuck to his marital vows, faithful to the Lord. He was going to go on serving the Lord no matter if he got what he wanted or not. And he really wanted a son and he didn't have him for many years, but that wasn't going to stop him from serving the Lord. It reminds me too of the greatest privilege that we can have on earth and that's raising children for God. Raising children for God. Um, and, I, and, I, and I wonder, do we do a good job? Do we do a good job? For raise, raising children to serve God, not to pursue worldly interests, not to pursue satisfaction of self, satisfaction of earthly pleasures, but to serve God, to sacrifice. Um, I, I think of John Peaslin. We got an email from John Peaslin. I, I even saw it on the internet, the dangers that, um, the new dangers that abound around the city of Reynosa, and we need to pray for them. Um, are we raising our children for the mission field? Are we raising our children to make sacrifices for the Lord? Um, that's a good question. But I see something deeper here, and I think it's a practical application, is I know there's some folks here that have prayed to be used of the Lord to lead someone to Christ, probably for many years. And maybe it hasn't materialized. And I would like to encourage you, don't give up hope and don't stop praying. Because here was a couple that were advanced in years. And they had lost the hope to have a child at this point, even to the point of doubting a message from Gabriel, sent from God through Gabriel. And yet that child was to be a great man of God and eventually give his life in martyrdom in service to the Lord. And it says that God can do the impossible. And so I'd like to encourage the old and the young that that's what we need to be praying about. Leading someone to the Lord. Having spiritual children. Raising them for the Lord. Um, and going on for God. Because that's what's really going to count for eternity. And I think perhaps after many years of praying that way, maybe faithfully, maybe frequently, maybe infrequently. We don't know how many times Zacharias prayed for a son. Could have been one time and the Lord heard. But I think there might be a tendency to say, well, it hasn't happened in the last five years. It can't happen or it won't happen. It's not true. I, I, I can't describe how encouraging it is to see new life breathed into seasoned saint when God uses them to bring someone to himself. There's no greater encouragement. And so I'd like to challenge all of us to pray that way. Elizabeth, what was her character like? Well, we know that she was a faithful homemaker. She kept the house. Um, what else do we know about her? Well, when she heard or she got a visit from Mary, what was her reaction? What was her reaction? And it came about that when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, and she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed among women are you, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Elizabeth shows a, a measure of humility there, doesn't she? 
a measure of humility. I mean, she was a lady of age. <laughs> and here was a young girl, Mary. And she had been given a, a child in her old age. She was six months along, and here Mary comes along. And, um, and who got the greater blessing? Well, I think we'd all have to say Mary, because she was the mother of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? And what was Elizabeth's attitude toward it? I mean, she waited longer, right? She was righteous, walking blamelessly. Um, she rejoiced with her. She rejoiced with her who got the greater blessing. And to me, that speaks of a sterling character. Rejoice with those that rejoice. She, was, she didn't show that she was jealous. She didn't show that she was envious. She received a blessing. Someone received a greater blessing and she rejoiced with her. And I think that's, that speaks to her sterling character. She wasn't jealous. She was humble. You know, it says that she secluded herself for five months. Um, and that, that perks up my curiosity. I wonder why would she do that? Why would she seclude herself for five months? Ah, there's a number of possibilities and it lends itself to speculation, you know. Perhaps she had gotten her hopes up in the past of having a child only to be disappointed. And you know how that is. Um, maybe she just wanted to make sure this time it took, you know. I don't know. Um, maybe um, she didn't want to be embarrassed in front of her friends had it not taken. I don't know if her faith was faltering. Perhaps she was the subject of ridicule or mocking because she was barren in the past. Um, and she didn't want to, I mean, when she showed up, she wanted it to be obvious. <laughs> see, the Lord has blessed me. I, I don't know. Um, but we do see that she had a sterling character. She blessed those and rejoiced with those that were blessed and rejoicing. And she wasn't jealous. Um, she was a faithful mother. And we think of the, uh, the fact that the Lord blessed her. It says that Mary stayed three months with her. And she's six months along. Mary stayed three months with her. So I'm doing the math here, nine months, right? She's going to have a baby, and most likely the, the Lord graced Elizabeth with his presence, even though from the womb of Mary at John's birth. And of course, John had a job to do, and that means they needed to raise him, not drinking any liquor, not drinking any wine. Raise their children to be devoted to the Lord for service. And what service? No one greater among men than John the Baptist. And so it just reminds me, we need to not lose heart in our prayers, not lose those desires, um, and to, to keep, keep the faith so that when the Lord comes back, he will find faith. So perhaps you've been praying for a long time for something, uh, the desire of your heart, and perhaps that's in the will of the Lord, or perhaps it's not. I pray that we can be like Zacharias and go on serving him regardless of what the Lord's going to do. I pray that we trust that the Lord has the best for last. Um, that we know that. We know he does. Uh, one day we will see that. Perhaps your situation is difficult at this time in your life. Perhaps you're suffering illness. Perhaps you're suffering problems with relationships. Perhaps your children aren't right with the Lord. Um, we ought, ought not to lose heart and lose hope. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you so much for this tremendous story. Uh, think of the long period of silence between the Testaments and um, how you begin. 
once again to speak into uh, what would seem to be initiate your dealings with men once again. We know that was your plan all along. We knew that uh, you had planned to bring the forerunner um, to earth or to be born at a specific place in time by specific parents, Lord. We know that you have a purpose for our life and we just pray that we might be faithful, not lose hope, keep uh, in prayer looking to you and waiting expectantly. Lord, we think of how you've used uh, people in this assembly in the past to bear spiritual children. You've done it through them. We just pray that we'd see uh, just a renewing of your Spirit's work in our midst in that way, that people might come to know the Lord Jesus Christ and that we might um, see that as a high calling. Lord, that you would work in our midst, we pray and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.